I kind of want to start this off with a shout out to a professor who we haven't mentioned and also who doesn't teach at GW anymore. Professor Wasden taught a class, oh, fall of 2018, I think. It was the same semester that I worked at the Alexandria Archaeology Museum because I would go right from class to work. It was called Women in the Ancient World. I got to write a paper about uh, women's like healthcare in the ancient world. And so I did this whole thing about like abortion and birth control in the ancient world, which was really interesting. And like in all of my research, like what they thought about, I am, I don't think that anybody got pregnant on purpose in the ancient world. I think, no, no, I don't think anybody had abortions because I think they were like all unsuccessful. I think every pregnancy was an accidental pregnancy and nobody got pregnant on purpose because when they were like, it was all wrong. (laughs) I've been waiting for this day so much so that Robert was like, hey, what is the topic recording? And I was like, well, it's finally here. And he goes, oh, the STEM in the ancient world. And I was like, yes, sir. I was really proud of it. I only got a B on it, but I think I only got a B on it because like my presentation for it wasn't great, but I was really proud of it. I thought I did a really good job. I also like got to tell a Republican in the class. First of all, you're a Republican man taking a class called Women in the Ancient World. There were two men in this class. One was this Republican kid who sat in the front and the other was a dude who sat in the back and clearly like knew his place. I got to tell this Republican kid that I think the Hippocratic Oath requires people to provide abortions. I fucking hated this kid. It was really funny. Because because I think the, the Hippocratic Oath is like, you have to do right by your patient. So your patient is the pregnant person, not the fetus. Especially if the fetus is like actively harming the pregnant person, you got to get rid of the thing that's harming the pregnant person because that's your patient. Anyways. Truly. I don't think truly. that's a hot take for our listeners, but I think it might be a hot take like in the world. It's okay, a hot so take overall, but like our audience should already it's like know. A, it's like a lukewarm that. take. No, okay, people who see. listen to Wait, us, that's let's... a Slurpee. People who <laughs> don't listen to us, that's like, <laughs> yeah. that's some soup. That's scalding. This modern world of science and invention is of particular interest to women. Hello and welcome to Lady History. The good, the bad, and the ugly ladies you missed in history class. I am here with Lexi. Lexi, what's your favorite ancient history misconception? Oh, my favorite one is how people think that like nobody got old and everyone died at 30. But no, just lots of people died young. So the median age, like, you know, when you do the math, it like makes it seem like the average life expectancy was really low. But there were elderly people who were just straight chilling. Like Neanderthals cared for their elderly and Neanderthals aren't even people. So thank you for coming to my TED Talk. Could it be that we have vaccines now? And Haley, Haley, you just got your second dose of the COVID vaccine. How you feeling? Yes, I did. That's my Band-Aid. My arm's tired. I got really sick for the first dose, so I can already feel myself needing a really long nap. You can also get a free donut every day for the rest of the year from Krispy Kreme with your vaccine I know. Heart. They have eggs in their donuts, so until Robert gets his vaccine, I'm getting him donuts. And I'm Alana, and the ancient world was not as sexy as you think it is. I read a lot of medical stuff, and the medical world is not cut up. Would it be bio-female, bio-male, or assigned female at birth, assigned male at birth? The scientific 
definitions that I've read is you'd usually say biosex female because biosex female means yes. vagina, uterus, yes. ovaries, etc. And then biosex male means penis, testicles. Okay. Glad we're on the same I don't really page. know what else is there. But I think those I are the two female, big ones. I'm referring Doesn't mean to they're what... all functional, though. They can be there, but not be functional. Right. And still, it's a whole can but of like, like, biosex is, is and the I'm gonna word that I And I'm going to put a preface. Use. I'm still really bad at switching it because a lot, like, the way my brain processes things, because I have a lot of reading comprehension problems, I'll read what, like, the ancient text or what they wrote, like, and translate it. And also a lot of like the stuff I was like somewhat reading was like written years and years ago where we didn't have this glorious um, inclusive terminology. So like that's a thing that you should reckon like I want people to recognize when reading ancient texts when translations are literal translations you won't see biosex female. You won't say biosex female. You'll see female. The way that I understand it is assigned male at birth or assigned female at birth is more a statement on gender, which is like yeah. non-binary. Like that's the part that isn't real. So I'm very happy that we can have this open discussion because I keep, I'm getting very frustrated with yeah. how well, people Well, I also don't just... like when people like try and speak for someone else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Especially when like everyone... Everyone has their preferences exactly. of how, or not preferences is even the wrong way to say it. Everyone has the way that they're comfortable talking about something. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking, yeah. Because someone can also message us and be like, you guys were all incorrect. Here's like. All right. We're, we're open to yeah. other takes. Also, this is just like my opinion. We're talking about the ancient gender. world. So we can't ask these. Exactly. Can't ask so these that's people. like why at the beginning I said female, but I have a question. What should I say? And that's like what I want. I I so I think I think biosex female. I really yeah. like that. I but I am worried that biosex female instead of biologically sexed female, like that's that's what it got shortened to biosex female. Yes. I'm worried that it gets shortened again to just female. <laughs> Blah, 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 disclaimer, info, super old, super sus, people writing history in the ancient times lived a long time after the history they wrote, salt from the Dead Sea, blah, 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 disclaimer. More salt than the Dead Sea. (laughs) Right. So, yep, we've said this on the show many times, but really old info can be sus. So take that with what you will. I don't know how to pronounce this person's name, but I'm trying my best. I believe it is... Algenice, Algenice, or Agenice, because it's spelled two different ways. Where is it? Where is she Thessaly? from? What? Algenoanice. Algenoanice? Yeah. I mean, how do you pronounce the shortened version? Algenice. Okay. I so, vaguely remember that from a, like, audiobook. So, so Algenice or Agenice? Al- Agenice. Yeah. Okay. Algenice or Agenice of Thessaly hereafter Aggie, because I don't speak Greek, was an astrologist in ancient Greece. And you might be saying, Lexi, an astrologist? This is a STEM episode. Okay, hold on. What we think of as astrology now is like not what it meant back then exactly. Basically, 
she was what we might call an astronomer, but astronomy wasn't a thing. But she wasn't like giving people their like zodiac like horoscopes. Like she was actually like studying space. So, but she was. I was so excited, and you crushed my dreams. Well, to be fair, like the whole reason she was an astrologist is like when she was studying astronomy, it was to like make predictions about the world. So like not exactly what we'd see as astronomy today, but like she was studying space, but she also was using it to make predictions about her world. But to me, that's like just culturally relative. And like that could be science in this context because they believed it was truth. So anyway, whatever, that's a whole complicated can of worms and anthropologist me would love to dive into that, but not right now. In Plutarch's writing, she's noted as the daughter of Hegator of Thessaly. Apparently that's important, but I don't know why because I can't figure out who Hegator was. This record describes her as a sorceress who could make the moon disappear from the sky, which has been interpreted by scholars, i.e. archaeologists and classicists, not classist, classicists, to mean that she could predict the time and place where lunar eclipses would occur. So Plutarch wrote, she is thoroughly acquainted with the periods of the full moon when it is subject to eclipse and knowing beforehand the time when the moon was due to be overtaken by the earth's shadow imposed upon the woman and made them all believe that she was drawing down the moon. She was making people think that she was bringing the moon down from the sky, but actually she was just drawing predictions about space. I'm obsessed with her. Yes. I'm in love with I her. I told you. <laughs> all that this was going to be my favorite fucking episode (laughs) to me it seems like our girl aggie was studying the stars and moon and the plants and stuff to make people think she was magic and that make people think she could pull the moon out of the sky which is pretty iconic if you ask me because doing science to make people think you're magic in the ancient world is like that's everything like it, I'm having a goddamn aneurysm. I love this. <laughs> like I'm also I'm thinking of Agatha from shit. Halloween Town. Yeah, Aggie, just my god, Aggie. Ma- like, you know, like the whole thing when they're like, if you're, if uh, it's, I think it's a card and cards Christianity. I think that's something of if you could travel into the past, what would you take with you to prove that you're a magic sorcerer or like an all-powerful sorcerer? Apparently, what you need to take with you is facts about the moon. <laughs> I thought you were going to say the moon. I was like, if I could. Take the moon with you. (laughs) Um, No, I would just like bring like, I'd bring Sally ride and I'd be like, I am, I am magic. I sent this woman to space and she peed in a diaper. (laughs) A number of other female scientists who were studying what we would call astronomy are associated with Aggie. Collectively, they were known as the witches of Thessaly because this was seen as like sorcery magic. So there were women, they were doing science. They were a group of women doing science and people thought they were witches, which is everything. Sorry, I had to lean out of my closet so that I could scream. And my computer reminded me that I was muted. I'm obsessed with this story, Lexi. Lexi never stopped talking about this. Socrates is quoted as having said, the Thessalian enchantresses who, as they say, bring down the moon from heaven at the risk of their own perdition. Iconic, iconic that these women are just yeeting the moon. So I guess Aggie had a whole gang of ladies, right? Like a whole, whole little group of ladies predicting cosmic events, particularly lunar eclipses and acting like they were magic. Fabulous. That's everything. In modern times, Aggie's legacy continues. A crater on Venus is named for her. 
very very cool very fun planet venus love it she's also a character in the 1950s french film orpheus which is like a modernized retelling of the orpheus myth so it's like a, a guy living in 1950s paris but he is orpheus i don't know i read a description of it on wiki i have not seen it maybe i'll watch it but basically in the film she's portrayed as a leader of the league of women in the underworld because of this like association with like magic in the underworld that she had in like, greek history not sure where they got the idea that she was in charge of the league of women but maybe they're trying to reference all her little moon buddies <laughs> following her around and studying the moon to trick the normies like I can 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 we call lady history fans moon buddies yes league of women TM, moon TM, buddies TM. I love I love this. and you know I just feel like she would really have liked tumblr <laughs> like specifically 2013 tumblr and I also think she was definitely a lesbian but these are just assumptions would she be a is is um was 2013 like the scene girls wasn't that like no that's 2013 was the super hulakians that's not what she is though she is one of those edgy dark blogs that's all about the aesthetics and pictures i remember dash con were you around for dash con (laughs) have you seen internet historians video on that Mm. okay last thing of course the greek proverb i don't know if you guys have heard this proverb yes as the moon obeys Ag- agonis agonis ag- however you, whichever version you want to use that's a reference to her uh, i see another uh, cross stitch pattern in our future it's a moon and it says moon buddies yeah. moon buddies i love it that's it that's all we know about her I love it. incredible uh, there's actually a couple really cool i'll say this there's a couple really cool articles particularly one out of harvard that talks about ancient lunar eclipses like using modern science to tell you when they were and then it talks about like basically like when she could have possibly lived because we don't know exactly like when she lived um and then it also talks about like the impact of lunar eclipses on ancient greek and roman culture which is pretty cool so i put that in further learning but basically like they really had a lot of feelings about lunar eclipses and Aggie knew how to exploit that for her own gain. Incredible. That's my favorite. It's the best story I've ever told. (laughs) Moon sorcery. (laughs) We also haven't recorded in a while. So it might, it might be like, like recent bias, but like, it's my favorite story you've ever told. I mean, it's a pretty good one. It's short, it's sweet, and it gets to the point. And you said mood buddies and people thought she and she used science to trick people the normies to trick the normies to trick the normies oh let me watch the sky because you know that's what she was doing she was sitting there watching the sky making predictions i don't even know how because that's my brain's too small her brain was huge and she was like i'm gonna trick the galaxy brain galaxy brain in so many ways in in so many ways i would have believed she was magic my brain sure. can't comprehend the lunar eclipse i would have legit- if she came up to me and she was like hitting on me into club and she was like hey bitch you want to see me pull down the moon i would say yes immediately yeah, gone. <laughs> i'd ask her where should i pull the u-haul so she can slip the moon right in there <laughs> Oh, oh my gosh. god, it's just two U-Haul lesbians driving with a moon. I also <laughs> really love U-Haul after moving companies have screwed me. I just want to do it myself. Give me that big ass truck and I'm just going to scoot the moon, the moon the to wherever I want.
I don't know how I'm going to follow up with my story. And I thought I was being really clever because I have a like, surprise for you guys about how I'm telling my story. But anyway, I had, a, I had like a solar system joke, but I'm just going to do it. I've been waiting to tell the story of Met- Metrodora. I'm going to call her Dora because I remember vaguely when I first read about her, like way, way back in the undergrad. And I think it was Professor Wasden who called her Dora. And I'm going to use it. Beyond knowing her name, being noted as the author, and here's the preface of where I explained that ancient history, female and women were just terms that we don't really like using now, titled On Women's Diseases and Cures of Women. And we don't know anything else about her specifically, but we can infer a lot about what her life could have been like knowing what it was like for ladies in ancient Greece and Rome. Like Lexi said, archaeologists and classicists. So to tell her story, I'm going to do it from the eyes, point of view, perspective of a current permanent art installation. And this is also my way of avoiding some sus information because I fucking hate it. Needs to change coming for my time as a forensic anthropology researcher when I had to scream into the void of the empty halls of the Smithsonian many times. Taking a trip down to my, the neck of the woody woods of Brooklyn, New York, you'll find the Brooklyn Museum. We're on the fourth floor. Um, you have the Elizabeth A. Sackler Center for Feminist Art. Side note, not the Sackler you're currently thinking of with the whole opium crap and whole story for another day. We like her and we like this Center for Feminist Art. You'll find the Dinner Party by Judy Chicago, another human I am dying to cover. Quickly, this exhibit is a massive ceremonial banquet in this triangular shape with 39 play settings dedicated to important women from history. We've covered a couple of, or at least I have, we've covered a couple of ladies who are- My lady from this week that I just talked about is also- Yep, that's how I knew like her, because I've read it from an um, audiobook and I think also from the Brooklyn Museum, of course, and the sources. And I knew, I was ready for you to like, talk all about this exhibit and then be like oh shit half my notes are gone but oh well that would have been fine so my please my plug for in some way somehow take a safe covid friendly trip to the brooklyn museum go on the interwebs but just look at this because each like place setting is unique to the lady with the color style of embroidery china painted porcelain plates and they have gold chalices like i want a gold chalice lady history gold chalices for all of us and if you're thinking that 39 ladies is just like not the greatest number there should be more ladies that we talk about there are another 999 names inscribed in gold on the white tile floor that are under the table now on to the story of doro she's seated at this table for so many reasons but again I'm going to talk about the text because that's the concrete information we have. And this text that she wrote is probably the oldest surviving medical text written by a woman. And we're thinking about 200 to 400 CE. It's called On Women's Diseases and Cures of Women. And this is kind of like a two-volume encyclopedia focusing on gynecological issues. So treatments for vaginal infections, and the use of speculums for medical examinations. We know that for ancient Greece and Rome, midwifery and 
gynecological studies were seen as the quote, women's work, or that was okay for quote, women to go around like and for do a while. like for a while. But that and then, was like, like later, it was like the women know too much. Exactly. They're conspiring against us. Exactly. That's why I really like, like, because medieval history is kind of like a basket case, and I like learning more about that, but I digress somewhat because we know this book was really popular and like was one of those books like Grey's Anatomy that continued to be used for years and years because we found like translated copies that were published in medieval Europe which is way later than 200 to 400 CE we're talking about all the way to the plague even which is in the 1300s and the Yale School of Medicine they had kind of like a women in STEM, ancient world STEM, medical world, which was kind of more like a blog post, but it noted that she also pioneered surgical treatments for breast and urinary or cancers, which is really cool on so many levels because like surgeries in Greece and Rome, that that's just fascinating. So like a com- this is kind of like a Alana intro question. Alana, you can just cut me off if you want me to step on your lovely toes. But I really like to think of books like autobiographies. So like the fact that she's only known to the world because of this book, like I would love to ask her at this Judy Chicago table, do you like this book? Like, are you happy that this is your representation? What would the author's bio said? Because I already have written and like thought about extensively of what my like autobiography or first published book would say as like the author's note. And know that'd be completely freaking different and slightly humorous compared to what the actual book has said. Because a lot, and when I say a lot, the very few tidbits of actually like scholarly information that's like easy to just pull when you Google her name and such, not including like Wikipedia, talks about her as like a physician and an author, not really as a human because that's all you can do really when you just have this book. And this book is a medical text. It's not her, like we were talking about Louisa May Alcott, that she used her experiences and wrote about it as fiction. Doesn't really have that element of my experience as a physician. That's why I call it like an encyclopedia of knowledge. I like it. I am not big on like art museums personally. Like I like them, but I wouldn't go out of my way to go to an art museum. But, like, I really want to go see the dinner party in person. The like, Brooklyn I've covered... museum is also, like, I call it more of, like, an art archaeological museum. Like, their Egyptian oh, wing cool. is amazing. Oh, yeah, that's the Brooklyn Museum. Yeah. I, like, I have covered, I think, both Mary Wollstonecraft and Mary Shelley are, are, are there. Boudicca is there, who I've covered. Like, every once in a while, I'm researching a lady, and I'm like, oh, the, Bri- the Brooklyn Museum has a piece about her. Oh, it's from the dinner party. Another plug just for the Brooklyn Museum is getting sources from the Brooklyn Museum. Like they, their education department is A++. Oh, you love to see it. So Hypatia of Alexandria was born at some point between 350 and 370 CE in, holy shit, you guys are never going to guess, Alexandria, Egypt. Incredible. Mind-boggling information. 
I am going to call her Hypatia, even though there is some contention about like how to pronounce her name. So don't yell at me. I'm making the active choice to say Hypatia. I know that there are other options, but that's the one that I'm doing. Don't yell at me. This is like going to be a short story because we don't know a lot about Hypatia in general, because like we were all saying, there is some sus information out there. Not a lot survives from the ancient world. Like that's just how it goes with, with ancient ladies. Uh, yeah, and unfortunately, fair. yeah, it's you're, I was like ancient world and add on females, ladies, yeah. whatever you want. Like, there's fine. not a lot from the ancient world. There's even less about ancient ladies. So it's just, this is how it is. We, we are archeologists doing a women's history podcast. And so when we get to ancient ladies, we're going to be really excited, but also really frustrated that there are no sources or like no legit sources. Unfortunately, Hypatia is probably better known for her really kind of violent death than her work in life. We do know that her father, Theon, was a professor at the University of Alexandria and was a mathematician and raised Hypatia to take over his trade, which is like what you would do with a son at the, at the time. And it's possible that that like colored her perception of gender that uh, I'll talk a little bit about later. But of course, these are ancient ladies and we don't know how they express their gender because that was a long time ago. And Hypatia collaborated with her father on some of his work. And some people think that book three of Theon's version of Ptolemy's Amalgist or Amalgist was actually Hypatia's work. It's the book that talks about like the Earth-centric model for the universe. So it did turn out to be wrong, but it lasted a while. And so it would be really cool if Hypatia wrote it. I think that would be cool, even though it's wrong. She did also write her own commentaries in her own right and taught astronomy and math out of her home, not at the university where her father did because that wasn't allowed. She's a woman. But so she taught out of her home and the lessons possibly included how to make an astrolabe, which is a device that was still used up until the 19th century. Kind of like a telescope, kind of like a map making device. It, it was really prominent and it's cool that like she knew how to make one. There are some accounts that Hypatia would dress like a man to teach, but those are from like well after her death. So who really knows? Maybe it's just like you don't trust that people would listen to a woman. So you want to make it seem like she actually was disguising herself as a man. Anyways, she was a philosopher of the Neoplatonic school of thought. Uh, and it's possible that she never married because she was such a huge fan of Plato and Plato was very like anti-traditional family structure. That's where I think we get like the modern use of platonic because Plato was very anti-marriage. But also if Plato knew that we used platonic to mean non-sexual, I don't think he would get, I think he would be like, what the fuck? Really? Did you, did you even read Plato? That was so inside baseball only for classicists. And I'm very sorry. But Hypatia was unfortunately murdered in 415 or maybe 416 CE by a Christian mob, basically for being pagan. Uh, and that's all I'm going to say on that because it gets real gross. But my Smithsonian Magazine source, which we love the Smithsonian, we love the Smithsonian Magazine, has a more detailed description. It's also possible that her death was part of a larger political struggle because the leader of the civic government, Orestes, and the leader of Christianity, a religious life, Cyril in Alexandria were at odds because Orestes was like this huge fan of Hypatia and so he wouldn't convert to Christianity because Hypatia was like this super big in the pagan scene 
T-shirt. Super ba- big in the pagan scene. Super big in the pagan scene. But we'll we'll never really know what, like, to what extent Cyril incited this mob that killed her. I have to bring up the 2009 movie Agora, which stars Rachel Weiss, who famously in my friend group, at least, so, like, you guys will know this, that uh, Rachel Weiss made me bisexual by her performance in the 1999 cinematic masterpiece The Mummy which is just in general an incredibly bisexual movie. Sub to the Patreon for my upcoming review of The Mummy. But I felt like I had to bring up Agora because this movie is how I learned of Hypatia. And I didn't watch this movie for recreation. I was assigned it in a classics and film course. Shout out to Professor Wasden, who we were talking about earlier. That was a great class. It was a weird movie, but check it out if you want to. It colored my view of Hypatia to the point that when Hypatia was a character on The Good Place, I entirely expected her to be Rachel Weiss and was genuinely surprised when she was actually Lisa Kudrow. Yeah, oh, like, okay. So Platonic actually goes back to like the 15th century and it was like a Florentine scholar. Uh, so we're talking Italy here, getting back into like the classical studies. And the reason why it's based off of Plato because for Platonic love, it's kind of like, the divine love, a soul-connected love, rather than, and it's meant to go beyond flesh. Marriage is slipped in, but it's less about the contact, the physical contact, and about the soul. And they picked Plato, which is like, I have some thoughts and yeah questions. You can find this podcast on Twitter, TikTok, and Instagram at Lady History Pod. Our show notes, merch, a link to our Patreon and a transcript of this episode will be on ladyhistorypod.com. If you like the show, leave us a review or tell your friends. And if you don't like the show, keep it to yourself. Our logo is by Alexia Ibarra. You can find her on Twitter and Instagram at LexiBDraws. Our theme music is by me, GarageBand, and Amelia Earhart. Lexi is doing the editing. You will not see us and we will not see you, but you will hear us next time on Lady History. week on lady history get those paintbrushes charcoal pens highlighters at the ready because we're talking about some fantastic artists guess what we're on patreon tiers start at just one dollar a month and we have three of them become a brilliant backer for one dollar find out early about new merch and ticketed events and get access to our monthly newsletter Support our show by becoming a confident contributor for $4 a month. In addition to the benefits from the previous tier, you get access to our Discord community and one bonus episode every Sunday. Or lastly, prove that you love us the most by becoming a sensational superfan for $7. In addition to the benefits from the previous tiers, get access to a monthly interactive live stream with one of us and get the power to decide future Lady History content by voting. Join our community and help us keep the show running at patreon.com slash ladyhistorypod. Woohoo, we did it.